Okay, before we get going, there's a few things we need to talk about. In the book of the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord speaks of a watchman being placed over the people. And he warns that if the watchman sees the sword coming against the land and sounds a trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the trumpet and doesn't heed the warning is guilty for not listening. And so the blood is on his own head. But the Lord also warns the watchman that if he sees danger coming upon land and does not warn the people, then he has to answer for their lives. So, I've been appointed the watchman over you, and there's two things I'm going to specifically warn you about right now, and that way you're warned. First off, I was talking to a priest this week, and he tells me there's some kind of TV shows, there's at least two of them, that have psychics on the TV show, like uh, communicating with so-called spirits of the dead. Let me tell you, if they're communicating with any spirits, they're not dead people, okay? They're spirits that are pretending to be dead people, because insofar as it's real... If, if they are doing that, they're evil spirits. That's not how God works. You don't have this. But anyway, if you're even participating in this kind of thing, you are present at a seance. You don't have to be physically present, but you're uniting yourself to a very serious mortal sin against the first commandment, and it's the most important commandment. This is definitely false worship. It's extremely offensive to God. If you get possessed, if stuff happens in your house, if whatever, if you lose the faith... It's your fault. Don't watch this kind of stuff. Don't allow it in your house. Don't let it be turned on under any circumstances. It's very serious. I'm not being sarcastic. Okay, that's one. Number two, Internet filters. For about four and a half years or so, I've been putting every month in the bulletin about at least two possible things, American Family Association filter and Family Link, which are two things that are updated every day to keep blocking those sites. Now, if you have the Internet going into your home, and some kid gets on it because you don't have a filter and he gets in trouble. That's going to be your fault. You can't say you weren't warned. You will have no idea how many people are going to go to hell because there's nothing intrinsic wrong with the Internet. Let me say that. But the way the Internet is, there's going to be so many people going to hell because it's basically you're allowing a dirty bookstore to be readily available in your own home. So think about that. And we put it in the bulletin again. If you don't have a filter like that, you need to get it on there. You're going to see on Judgment Day how many people have been taken out because of this. It's very frightening. There's a lot of priests very concerned about the thing. It's nothing intrinsic wrong with the Internet, but if you don't have a filter on it, you got a dirty bookstore right there in your home. It's only a click away. You don't even have to get up and go find it. It's right there. You don't have to go to a bad part of town. It's right there. Put a filter on. Okay. I sound the trumpet, you know. Now let's get on with the sermon. First part of what we're going to talk about today, we've heard before. Okay, Father, why are we going to tell us things that we've heard before? Because it's so important. It's absolutely critical for each one of us to have a firm as grasp as possible on the first things we'll talk about. These concepts are so important, and I can't begin to tell you how many Catholics, practical Catholics, people that go to Mass every week, have gone through Catholic school from K to whatever, and they don't have the foggiest notion about what we're doing here today and why. I meet them every week. I don't want that to be said of any one of us. So let's review. Remember the scriptures are clear. By nature, we're born children of wrath, excepting, of course, for Our Lady. We're all members of a fallen race. Thanks a lot, Adam. That means that by nature... When we die, our souls will fall into the abyss. Naturally speaking, that's what's going to happen. And naturally speaking, there isn't a single thing that we can do about it. Not a thing. Not a single thing. 
We've talked about the parallel before. Just as we fall bodily, if we try to rely on our own natural powers to fly off a cliff or an antenna or a tall building, so we'll fall spiritually if we try to rely on our own natural powers to fly off to heaven after death. But there's a gigantic difference, okay? Even though flying is beyond our natural abilities as men, Still, it is possible for us to develop the technology to be able to fly. We can build hot air balloons, we can build hang gliders, build helicopters, aircraft, okay? But there isn't a single intellectual, technological, or physical way we can get to heaven. It's totally beyond our natural powers, okay? It's completely beyond it. We can't build a cannon to shoot us there, a rocket to travel there. It's absolutely, completely, and totally beyond the ability of our nature. No amount of money, research, wishful thinking, work, weird things preached by sex, nothing can get us this ability. It's totally above and beyond our nature. In order for our soul to get to heaven when we die, it has to receive powers above its nature. Supernatural power. This supernatural power comes only from God. It's His free gift. And we can only get it in this life. So what are we saying? We're saying that if we die with this power, this supernatural power, our soul can get to heaven. When it gets to heaven, it can live there. If we die without this power, our soul can't get to heaven. And even if it could get there, we couldn't live there. If we die with the supernatural power, our souls can get to heaven. If we die without it, our soul can't get to heaven, which means that it will plunge into hell. The great Catholic author Frank Sheed commented that the supernatural life is given to man in this life. What man does with it is the primary story of his life. Everything else is incidental, on the fringe of no permanent importance. When we come to die, we're judged by the answer to that one question, whether we have the supernatural life in our soul. If the answer is yes, then to heaven we shall surely go, for the supernatural life is the power to live the life of heaven. If the answer is no, then we cannot possibly go to heaven, for we could not live there when we got there. If we die with this power, we can go to heaven. If we die without this power, we can't get to heaven. What is the name of the supernatural power? It's sanctifying grace. Grace means free gift, and we remember that it's a free gift from God. Remember there's more than one type of grace. For example, there's actual grace. Actual grace gives us supernatural power to do supernaturally good acts. Actual, actual grace supernaturalizes the way we act. But sanctifying grace changes our very being. It changes how we are. Sanctifying grace makes us be holy. It sanctifies us. Sanctifying grace is actually a created share in God's own life that he places into our souls to give us a new type of life, supernatural life, and this makes us holy. This is what our Holy Father St. Peter is referring to in 2 Peter 1.4 when he writes of us becoming partakers of the divine nature. So because of Adam's sin, men fell from grace. Men are born without sanctifying grace. Naturally speaking, 
There isn't a single thing that any one of us can do about it. But in order to live the life of heaven, we have to be supernaturally alive. We have to have sanctifying grace. If we die with sanctifying grace, we can live the life of heaven. If we die without it, we can't live the life of heaven. It's pure and simple. Okay, we've said it before. Everyone needs to burn this into his mind. The most important thing I will ever do is die. If I die with supernatural life, I can live in heaven. If I die without supernatural life, I cannot live in heaven. Okay, what is this supernatural life we call sanctifying grace? A created share in God's own life. This is why our Lord became man. He told us, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What did he mean? He meant that he came to give us supernatural life. He came specifically to give us sanctifying grace. That's why he established the Catholic Church. In fact, the whole entire purpose of the Catholic Church is to continue Christ's work throughout time, undoing the damage done by Adam's original sin by bestowing or restoring sanctifying grace to men's souls. Every single thing that a man does as a priest is concerned with this one thing, sanctifying grace. Bestowing it, increasing it, protecting it, or restoring it. That's why God's put us in the world. So the only reason for us to be Catholic isn't because it's convenient, not because it's comfortable. This is not a convenient religion. It is not a comfortable religion. If you're looking for a convenient, comfortable religion, there's probably 40 or 50,000 better choices out there. They're better in the short run. Unfortunately, it's a case of short-term gain and long-term pain. The only reason to be Catholic is because it's true. The only reason to be Catholic is because it's true. And the only reason to be Catholic is because Christ established the church in order to give us supernatural life. That's why we're Catholic. Okay, so much for the review. Let's take a few minutes now to consider six amazing things that happened to us when we first received this new kind of life. To do that will follow the late great Father Dion. But there's six things that happened to us, amazing things, when we first received that new kind of life. And for most of us, that was when we were little uh, babies at the baptismal font. Okay? The first amazing thing, we got a supernatural power called faith. Faith gives us the ability to believe in and trust what God says, not because it's obvious, because sometimes it sure isn't, not because it's perfectly agreeable to us, because a lot of times it sure isn't, but we get the power to believe what God says simply because he says so. For example, we know we shouldn't go shopping or mowing the lawn on Sundays, not because it's obvious in our pagan society what could be less obvious. Who pays any attention to the third commandment these days? We know that we shouldn't go shopping and mow the lawn on Sundays, not because it's agreeable. Maybe we really like shopping on Sundays. Maybe we really like mowing the lawn. But we know that God says so, and that's enough for us. We know that God says so. We can see it's a supernatural power, maybe not in that instance, but there's one, because we can believe things that are impossible to believe unless we have the supernatural power. For example, here's an example of something that's not obvious and is perfectly impossible to believe without faith. We all believe there are certain men that can take pieces of bread and whisper words over those pieces of bread, and that bread becomes a man, and that man is God. We all believe that. But we don't believe that by natural power. 
we believe that because Christ gave us a power in our baptism to believe these truths of the faith. That's why we're at Mass. That's what's going to happen here. I'm one of those men. It's an amazing thing. It's a supernatural thing. So we're believing things that aren't obvious. We're believing things that aren't necessarily agreeable. We believe it because God says so, huh? And he's given us his power to believe that. Second amazing thing. We got the supernatural power of hope. Now this is a little more complicated than faith, okay? There are three aspects to the supernatural virtue of hope. With hope in the first place, it fills us with this desire to see God in heaven. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is we realize if I rely on my own powers, that's completely impossible. Heaven is completely beyond my reach. And the third aspect is we realize I can rely completely on almighty power and infinite mercy of God and his promises. And that makes heaven possible. Okay, so hope gives us the power to long for heaven. Well, seeing that by our natural abilities, it's completely beyond our reach. And yet, if we rely on God's infinite goodness and his infinite mercy and his promises, we cooperate with his grace, we'll get there. Third amazing thing, we get the supernatural power of charity. This gives us the power to love as God loves. We get the power to love God himself as well as our neighbor, and not because we find our neighbor attractive and lovable, but simply because God made him and God loves him. This means that we actually get the power to love people we don't like at all. How's that? Well, God commands us, for example, to love our enemies. He didn't say anything about liking them. It's not the same thing at all. God never commands the impossible. Remember, to love someone means to will the good for them. But to like someone is an emotional response to that person. You can easily love someone without liking them. It happens all the time. I remind parents that they love their teenagers even when they don't like them. We're all familiar with this concept. Okay, so how do we practice the love of people we don't like? As the late great Father Dion used to teach, when someone giving us grief, when someone's giving us grief, we should say this little prayer, God, make him happy in this life and the next. When someone's getting to us, we say a little prayer, God, make him happy in this life and the next. Remember, love is not in our feelings. It's in our will. When we say, God, make him happy in this life and the next, if we didn't will it, we couldn't say it. We may still feel flaming mad at this guy who's tormenting us. He could be our mortal enemy, but if we just say this little prayer, God, make him happy in this life and the next, we've just done the most loving possible thing for that man, which is to pray for his eternal happiness. Remember, to love someone is to will the good for them. By performing this little act, we've, we've willed the highest possible good, which is their eternal salvation. Fourth amazing thing. we got the power to earn more happiness in heaven. When we're in the state of grace, when we're supernaturally alive, each and one of our actions that are done for God are supernatural. We can't see the difference with ordinary vision. They look the same whether or not we're supernaturally alive. We're talking about something supernatural, so we can only see the difference with the eyes of faith. What does it mean? It means, for example, and this is just one example, when we're in the state of grace and we've made our morning offering, then all our little daily duties, making the bed, washing the dishes, driving to work, doing our homework, all our little daily duties, which don't look any different at all, whether or not they're done by someone who's supernaturally alive. If we're in the state of grace, then because of the goodness of God, each and every one of all these little daily duties merit for us a supernatural reward. What does that mean? It means that by doing these things every day, we're piling up treasures in heaven. And assuming we get there, we get to enjoy those rewards 
that we merited here on earth. How important it is to say our morning offering. Fifth amazing thing, we get the absolutely astonishing privilege of being adopted. We get adopted. What are you talking about, Father? God adopts us. With the gift of supernatural life also comes this absolutely astounding privilege of being adopted by God as one of his very own children. That's why when we say the Lord's Prayer, we can call God our Father. Maybe we're used to that. Maybe we haven't thought about that. But it's pretty amazing when we think about it. Why? Because he's adopted us. Remember, by our nature, we're born children of wrath. Adam sold us into bondage to the devil, huh? That's why our Lord came and is lying in the manger. In 1 John 3.8, we're told, quote, For this purpose the Son of God appeared, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Close quote. Okay, Father, but what does that have to do with adoption? In today's epistle, St. Paul tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent his Son, made of a woman, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Ghost makes the same point in Romans chapter 8. You have received the spirit of adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit Himself gives testimony to our spirit that we are the sons of God. And on and on and on. One more quote, though. I'll just do one. We hear it every day in the last gospel. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. So God has raised us up. Think about how amazing this is. He's raised us up from being spiritually dead children of wrath. And he's given us the gift of supernatural life, made us partakers in his divine nature, and in the process has also bestowed upon us this astounding dignity of being adopted sons. And if we're sons, that means that we're also joint heirs with him. In today's epistle, St. Paul speaks explicitly of this, as he does in the 8th chapter of Romans, where he says, We are the sons of God. And if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Close quote, the Holy Ghost. Since we're joint heirs, then we have a claim on his inheritance, eternal life. As Father Dean points out, because we're God's children, we receive different food than those who are not his children since God himself feeds us with the bread of eternal life. Now the sixth and most amazing thing that happens to us when we're in the state of grace is that God himself comes to dwell within us. St. Paul writes, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. The temple of God is holy, which you are. And for you are the temple of the living God, as God saith, I will dwell in them. And know you not that your members are the temple of the Holy Ghost, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own. Here we have the inspired, inerrant word of God telling us that we're not our own, that when we're in the state of grace, we're temples of the living God, that God dwells within us. It's truly mind-boggling that we're living tabernacles. It's mind-boggling. Now, obviously, God is everywhere. There's no place. He isn't. God is present in all things, keeping them in being, continually holding them above the surface of nothingness so they collapse back into nothingness. But when we're in a state of grace, He's present in us in a different fashion. Frank Sheet asks the obvious question. What's the difference between God's presence in us by nature and his indwelling of us by grace. And he answers, quote, The primary difference is that as God's presence in us by nature, we have no choice. We were not consulted before God brought us into existence. 
We're not consulted at any subsequent time as to our remaining existence. Okay? We cannot escape this existence-giving presence of God. In order to be, we need do nothing. But in order to be supernaturally, we must do something. God's presence is by no invitation by ours, but his indwelling is by invitation. God's indwelling means God making himself at home in us and depends upon our invitation. When we're infants, the sponsor extends an invitation to him on our behalf. When we reach the use of reason, we confirm the invitation. We can withdraw it at any time and so lose God's indwelling and be left only with his presence. Close quote. He's dwelling in us when we're in a state of grace as a tabernacle, a living tabernacle. Now, just parenthetically, I may be wrong. This is out of my memory, but I'm pretty sure it was Origen. It was one of the one of the early Christians. He's not exactly a father, but during a persecution, he'd just been baptized. So there's a terrible persecution going at that time, and the people didn't have access to the most blessed sacrament. So his family kneeled down before this newborn baby there and prayed because they knew the most blessed Trinity for sure was in the in the newly baptized child and prayed. That, uh, that the Holy, the, the, the Holy Spirit will be sent forth and protect him during all this. We're not praying to babies, but the presence of God actually present. The dignity is absolutely inconceivable. It's inconceivable, and he's dwelling within us. Let's sum all this up. Because Adam sinned, men are now born without sanctifying grace. But in order to live the life of heaven, we have to be supernaturally alive. We have to have sanctifying grace. Remember, the most important thing that any one of us will do is die. If we die with supernatural life, we can live the life of heaven. If we die without supernatural life, we can't. The whole entire purpose of the Catholic Church is to continue our Lord's work through time by undoing the damages caused by Adam's sin. And how does the Church do that? By bestowing or restoring supernatural life to men's souls. Every single thing that we do as priests is concerned with this one thing, supernatural life. Bestowing it, increasing it, protecting it, or restoring it. That is the function of the priesthood. There are six amazing things that happen to us when we receive supernatural life, most of us, at our baptism. First, we got the supernatural power of faith, which gave us the ability to believe in and trust what God says simply because he says so. Second, we got the supernatural power of hope, which gives us the desire to to want to see God in heaven. And although we see it's beyond our reach, we rely on God's infinite goodness and mercy and his promises to get us there. Third, we got the supernatural power of charity, which gives us the power to love God himself as well as our neighbor simply because God loves him, which means that we even have the power to love people that we certainly don't like. Fourth, we got the power to earn more happiness in heaven, which means that if we're in the state of grace and we've made a morning offering, all our little daily duties merit for us a supernatural reward. Fifth, we got the absolutely astounding privilege of being adopted by God as one of his own children. And sixth, and most remarkable, when we're in the state of grace, God himself comes to dwell within us. That's why he became man, to save us from the devil and to give all that to us. Let's close with a short meditation from St. Alphonsus. Quote, Out of innumerable creatures which he might have made, God has chosen you and placed you in the world.
again from the midst of millions of infidels and heretics, he has chosen to place you in the true church. He's made you a Christian and a Catholic. How many millions are deprived of the sacraments, of sermons, of the examples of good companions, and of all the other helps to salvation which are found in the true church? And God is resolved to give all these great helps to you without any merit on your part, and even with a foreknowledge of your demerits. For when he thought of creating you and bestowing his graces upon you, he foresaw the insults which you would offer to him.